You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. I come this morning to preach on the subject, somebody prayed for me. Somebody prayed for me. Prayer and community is what we're talking about. You never know when someone's prayers will change your life. Let me say it again. You never know when somebody's prayers will change your life. A few years ago, I was driving on the interstate during a trip to see extended family when I came to a long line of stopped traffic outside of a construction zone in my wife, uh, sorry, in my car where my wife was my wife and my two children at that point, Oscar and Theo. Little did we know that behind us on the highway was a full-speed 18-wheeler whose driver was not paying attention. Maybe he was asleep. Maybe he was texting. I still, to this day, don't know. But out of nowhere, at the last minute, that 18-wheeler, he looked up when he was coming into a stop line of traffic and he swerved to the left. He sideswiped us from the left side before proceeding to wreak havoc upon the stop lanes of traffic, throwing cars all the way across the interstate and smashing other cars like spent aluminum cans. Everyone in our car, amazingly, was physically okay. But the same was not true for many of those around us. But amazingly, no one died that day. There were serious injuries, but nobody lost their life that day. So we were first responders, and after a long while of assisting others on the highway and standing on the shoulder of a smoldering Georgia interstate in the month of June for hours, a sister came and found me. She was an African-American woman. She asked me how we were, and then she said this. She said to me, My husband and I were behind you on the highway, and we saw, with advance warning, we saw that truck coming, and we had enough time to pull over, and after we had, I lifted my hands up, and I prayed over that situation, asking for God's mercy over this interstate. There is no doubt in my mind when I tell you this morning that my family and I are here today because that sister was there to pray for us. I'm so glad she prayed for me. I think of her often and how she had been formed as a Christian. In the most intense moment of life and death, her reflex was to stop, to lift her hands and to ask God for help and for mercy. Her reflex was to stop and pray. And I knew from our very brief conversation together that her faith was strong and that her prayers were effective that day for the sake of our very lives. Because evidently God had something more for us to do. And so he used that woman. I'm so glad she prayed for me. Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, are commanded to pray for one another. Why? Because this is how God chooses to do his work in people's lives. Through the prayers of you. Through the prayers of this community. That's very often how God chooses to work out his will in real time in the world. God uses prayers and our prayers to do so. Why does God do this? I don't have a proof text for you explaining why God uses prayer. Here's what I think. God loves our participation in his work of redemption in the world. Prayer is creative work. 
It's a work that invites us first to come into communion with God and his love and out of that to be a conduit of blessing to everyone around us. We participate in God's loving mission in the world through our very ordinary prayers. We become conduits of blessing. And so I want to explore this subject for you today, prayer and community. And I want to look at three movements that lead us into this life of prayer for one another as a community. The first movement is from doubt to trust. The second movement is from pride to humility. And the third movement is from forgetfulness to remembrance. So first, from doubt to trust. James says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We don't know if we believe that, though, do we? (laughs) Creeping around many of our hearts, even this morning, is a nagging and a dark doubt about the very reality of prayer. Even as I told that story in the beginning, I wonder in your heads if you had these thoughts creeping up. Well, how do you know it was that woman's prayer? You know, perhaps it was just a physical coincidence. Or maybe why should I bother to pray when it hasn't worked in the past? Perhaps many of us have talked to a friend in pain and we said, I'll pray for you. And then we found ourselves completely unmotivated and neglectful to do just that because what good would it do anyway, we ask. I bring this up because before we can start talking about praying for other people in the community, we actually have to talk about prayer in the first place, because many of us today struggle to believe in prayer. We know that prayer, that talking to our maker, that it's all over the Bible. Every saint, every prophet in the Bible prays. And God works through their prayers. We know that Jesus had an intimate connection with his father and prayer, that he was always getting away to go pray. We know that Jesus's prayers were effective. We know that Jesus taught us to pray, but we struggle to believe that prayer does anything. Do I have a witness this morning? We struggle to grasp the reality of a spiritual uh, realm of being, <laughs> that the veil between the world seen and the world unseen is actually thin. And then in prayer, we step in between those two worlds and affect things by the spirits working. I feel confident based on my own life and years of pastoring people through prayer that within the sound of my voice today, there are those who really can't remember the last time you spent a decent amount of time in prayer. I think one of the unspoken realities in many Christian communities today is the fact that we don't really pray. And we carry around with us, many of us, the shame of that, the fact that we don't pray. But if I can go even deeper in, if you'll let me, I think that lack of prayer is an indication in many of our hearts that we feel an underlying lack of connection to God himself. Because prayer is the primary means by which our connection to God is nurtured. Prayer is the place of getting to know the heart of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the place of getting to know that heart of Jesus and then interceding for others in the name and in the will of Jesus, asking things in his name and by God's grace, seeing things done in his name. God actually uses your prayers to accomplish his will in the world. Let me say it again. God actually will use your prayers to accomplish his will in the world. 
In opposition to the cynical and the doubtful lies that run through our souls is the beautiful vision and practice of Christian prayer. And it's that practice that had been deeply formed in that sister on the highway who stopped to pray for me. That vision is that each of us would join in God's redemptive and restorative and renewing work by our prayers. And that's why in the face of illness and trial, the Apostle James tells the believers, so pray for one another that you may be healed. James, which I read multiple times this week as as I was away on a silent prayer creative retreat down in Richmond. From the beginning of James' letter, uh, to use a modern phrase, the Apostle James, he don't play. All right? James don't play. He doesn't sugarcoat a lot of what he says. He offers plain spoken wisdom. And at the beginning of James' letter, he tells the church, if any of you are lacking for wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. That's what he says. But he says, don't ask from a place of doubt. Ask from a place of faith. Because he says the one who asks from a place of doubt has a divided heart. They're like a ship tossed around at sea and they shouldn't expect to get anything from their asking. (laughs) Woo! I would have preferred that he not say it like that. Can I just be honest? Can the preacher be honest? I wish he wouldn't have said it like that, but he did. Why aren't prayers from a place of doubt effective is because we're not asking from a place of being connected to the Father. We're asking from a place of a heart that's even distant from the heart of God. Here's the thing, though, and this is a very important distinction I want to make for you today. We think that the opposite of doubt is certainty. All right. The opposite of doubt is not certainty. The opposite of doubt is faith. Faith does not mean intellectual certainty in some intellectual way. As in, I figured out all the potential problems of the universe and the solutions, and I have an ironclad case for why I should trust God and follow Jesus. That's not faith. Faith does not mean certainty. It means trust. It means conviction. It means assurance. You know what, friends? Those are relational words. Faith is a relation to God. And it's trusting that God's good. It's trusting that God is going to do what he said he will do. It means trusting in your heart that Jesus is good and that he has our good in mind. Because here's what I know. Pretty much every saint in the Bible doubts. All right. Go see the life of Moses. Go see the life of Adam and Eve, perhaps. Go see the life of Elijah. And that's who James references in this story. It's Elijah. Even Elijah, after this great uh, narrative that we read this morning, where he has that confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You know what happens after that is Queen Jezebel says, well, I want to kill Elijah. And Elijah runs away like a scaredy cat. And that's the episode where God finds him, not in an earthquake, not in a mighty rushing wind, but in a still silent voice. The love of God seeks out those who are in doubt. Jesus seeks out doubters. Are you doubting this morning? Jesus invites you to a place of trust and childlike faith and prayer. Our connection to God is to be nurtured like the 131st Psalm. My heart's not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. But like a child with its mother, I have calmed and quieted my soul. That's what faith looks like. A child with its mother. Where do you go to move from doubt to trust? 
You go to Jesus. There's this episode at the end of the Gospel of Luke that I love because Jesus says to Peter, I don't know if you remember this, but he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Y'all remember that? And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you know that you can ask Jesus to pray for you and to strengthen your faith so that you could then pray from a place of fervent confidence instead of the nagging doubts as you intercede from your family, your friends and your neighbors? Because again, prayer is drawing near to the heart of Jesus and dwelling in that love. We become conduits of love for the world. On my retreat this week, I, I often took this, lo- this walk around uh, Richmond. I don't know if any of you have been to Richmond, but there's this long walkway along the canal, along the river. It's a beautiful waterfront area. And the first time I took the walk, I noticed as I rounded a bend that in the middle of this big pond, there was a metal plate and it was just sort of awkwardly spewing and sputtering. And I supposed in my mind, I said, I think that's supposed to be a fountain. But it's just sort of awkwardly spitting out. (laughs) It's not working. Well, the next day I took the walk again and I came to it. And that fountain was about six feet high. And it was this grand spraying fountain. I think that that's an image for us of our lives of prayer. We are in the water. (laughs) Jesus has brought us into the place of love. But we are often struggling to become conduits of that love. And the place in which that happens is the place of prayer. So that's what we pray for, to be conduits. Deeply connected, secondly, to our doubt is the second movement of praying for others. And that is the movement, the second movement, from pride to humility. From pride to humility. See, doubt and pride are related because both doubt and pride assume that we are the ones in control of our lives. Prayer is coming to the right and appropriate sense that we are ultimately not in control. But we take that place of dependency in life. James does not say, pray for one another and you will be healed automatically. I want to point that out. God's will is not formulaic. Nor is God a vending machine for you. For what you think you need and for what you think others need. And so you ask and then it happens. Can I say this? Underlying some of our struggle to pray is this thought. If I pray and God doesn't do as I say or as I ask, then God is the problem. Has anyone in here thought this? But on the flip side, I think, brothers and sisters, surely you've had the experience of praying for something fervently for a long time. And then you get months down the road and you realize that you're grateful that God didn't answer your prayers. You're grateful that God didn't give you the thing that you asked for because it actually wouldn't have been good for you. James, in the last chapter, he he approaches and attacks this spirit of pride. Maybe you remember this passage. He says, come now, all of you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to make money. We're going to make a profit. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. The translation is you don't know what's coming in life and you don't always know what's good for you. Pride and our lack of prayer 
is, yes, connected to our assumptions, but it's also, it looks a lot like busyness as well. You say, I'm too busy to pray. I've got important work to get done in life, and prayer, last time I checked, well, it's not productive. I'd rather spend time being productive. I'd rather spend time making money. I'd rather spend time looking at measurable results. Has many of you ever started a morning and said, I should pray, and then said, I have more important things to do. This is a self-centered and a delusional way of looking at reality. Because we are a needy people. For the very breath in our lungs, for the very duration of our lives. Last time I checked, we are all susceptible to death. Prayer is coming to the place of realizing that I'm not in control and that I need the grace of God and that I need communion with God. Yet for some of you today, it isn't so much entitlement that you're suffering from. You just want relief from suffering. You've prayed for relief. I know many of you have in this room. You prayed for healing. It hasn't come. You prayed for the healing of other people. It hasn't come. You prayed for marriage. You've prayed for a child. You prayed for a friend, and God hasn't answered that prayer yet. Or perhaps the Lord has shown you that that prayer is not going to be answered in this life. This is a painful reality, is it not? In our new edition of the Daily Prayer Project, there's an article in there called Healing Prayer by a woman named Carrie Christina Reeves, who uh, has had a profound effect in my life and who as a person, is constantly living through pain in life and is constantly living through suffering. Here's what she writes. She writes, Pain becomes the doorway through which we experience eternal love. She says, Suffering is inherently complicated and healing is inherently mysterious. Some wounds will not be completely healed until we are with God in glory. That's a challenging and perplexing dynamic of God's ways in the world. However, there are many wounds that God will heal on this side of eternity. So it's appropriate to pray for healing even as we leave the outcome in God's hands. Some of you are struggling in prayer, wondering, is God even a good God? Is God just this deterministic, like no pain, no gain kind of life coach who sends suffering your way? Do you want to know what God is like? Here's a theological principle, very simple one. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. How does Jesus handle people in pain? Even pain that he's going to eventually heal. How does Jesus handle people in pain? He has compassion. He weeps with people. He loves people, even as he's the one in control. Where do you go, in fact, to learn this dependent and humble life of prayer? You go to Jesus. I call to your mind Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. If you remember his prayer, he said, God, I'm going to pray to you right now. This is what I want. I would like for this cup to pass from me. As in translation, I do not want to suffer. I don't want to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the life of a humble, dependent prayer. And I don't say it lightly, and I've spoken to many of you in the midst of intense suffering, and I know that you've learned that place of prayer, and it's a blessed place to be, but it's also an extremely painful place to be. God is with us in the midst of that, and God asks us to continue on in prayer. 
we can learn to endure the life of praying for one another by humbling ourselves before God's will. Because again, it's about trust. It's about the fact that God is good and that he has good things for us. And part of learning that, of that is to humble ourselves. And it's also to learn to humble ourselves and ask for prayer. You notice in the first part, this is a whole nother sermon. I don't have time to preach today. James says, confess your sins to one another. Translation, be vulnerable with one another. Let others in on your needs and ask them to pray for you. And that's a word for us. Are you struggling in life? But but oftentimes you're just spinning the wheels within your own head. Ask others to pray for you because others prayers matter on your behalf. So what lays the foundation in our hearts is this movement to participate with God from doubt to trust, this movement from pride and humility. But lastly, the movement from forgetfulness to remembrance. The third movement that allows us to get closer to the heart of God and and our participation is to remember. Because oftentimes it's not just pride or it's not just our doubt. It's our lack of rhythms of prayer. And our lack of remembering to actually pray that keeps us from the practice of prayer. There's an old quote on a book that I used to have, and I think it's still in my office. It's a book by Charles Spurgeon. It's a book on prayer. And this quote on the back of the book always used to haunt me for years of my life. You know what it said? It said, a prayerless soul is a Christless soul. A prayerless soul is a Christless soul. And I used to be haunted by that because I was struggling to pray. Do any of you struggle to pray? And I thought, do I really know Jesus if I struggle to pray? I came to tell you this morning that the answer is no. What I had to learn over time is that prayer is a learned activity. Prayer needs to be taught and formed into each of us. Before Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, do you know what they cry out to him and ask? They say, Lord, teach us to pray. The assumption is, I don't know how to do this thing called prayer because I'm, in some way I'm disconnected from you. So Lord, teach me to pray. And what Jesus gives them is a simple form, a repetitive form. It's a form that we pray every single day together as the people of God, the Lord's Prayer. But my assumption that I want to impart to you this morning is that you need to be taught how to live a life of prayer. You need to be formed into rhythms of prayer. Now, there is truth in what Spurgeon has said, because to be prayerless is to be in some way distant from Jesus. And we want to be near. Here's the thing I found about prayer. I forget to do it. How many times I've told a brother or sister or a friend or a neighbor, I'm going to pray for you. And then I don't. Anyone else been there? Because we forget. I spent some time this week dwelling on the connection in the Bible between remembering and praying. Paul says in Philemon 1.4, he says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day as I remember your tears. Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in in prayer. In another place, he says, pray without ceasing. Prayer is a rhythmic practice in the scriptures. It's not just the spontaneous overflow of our communion with God. 
That is the goal. That is the goal to be, to, for all of life to be a life of prayer, even work to be a form of prayer. Sometimes it is that. But it's also just the more regular practice of prayer called praying the hours. Morning, the sun comes up, I pray. Noon, I take a break, I pray. Evening, bedtime. Jesus, do you know that Jesus and his disciples prayed like that? They went to the temple at certain hours of the day. They kept the hours of the day. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen. Because we need to be reminded like a bell that goes off. All right, I got to stop and I got to pray. I got to stop and I got to pray. What are those rhythms you can put in your life that are like those bells going off? When you're at a when you're in an old town and they have an old church in the center with a bell tower, you know, that's what the bells are for, right? <laughs> the bells, they ring and remind you this is the hour. So you should pray. James also talks about being fervent in prayer like Elijah. He basically says Elijah was a normal person like you and me. He has passions like us. He had doubts like us. And yet he prayed fervently. One time Jesus told a story about a persistent widow. I don't know if you remember that story, but he tells this story about about a widow who's suffering from injustice and she can't get justice that she needs. And there's this judge in her town over her district. And and, and Jesus said that the judge, he doesn't fear God, nor does he care about the law, nor does he care about other people. He's a bad judge. He's a wicked judge. Nevertheless, Jesus said this woman keeps knocking on his door and says, I want justice and I want it now. That's what the parable says. (laughs) And finally, the judge gets so tired of listening to this woman's complaint that he's like, fine, there's your justice. Go ahead. And Jesus said, you hear what he said, how much more will the righteous judge? How much more will the father in heaven answer the prayers of the elect? That's what Jesus says. And and, and Jesus said that he told uh, Luke says that Jesus told this parable so that the people would not lose heart, but would continue fervently in prayer. We are supposed to remain fervent in prayer. You don't have what you're asking for. You can keep asking for it. You can go back to the throne room of God and ask for Jesus to work in the world in this way. What are some applications? First, I want you to remember, pray for trust in the midst of your doubts. Pray that Jesus would pray for you like he prayed for Peter, that your faith would not fail. Pray for a heart strengthened by grace in faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray together every single day in this community using something called the Daily Prayer Project, which isn't very complicated. It's basically a means of praying at morning and evening together. What started as just a movement of prayer here in this congregation is now shared by over 50 congregations across the country. And recently, Ashley and I celebrated that our first international congregation joined the project. So... Um, Brothers and sisters in Seoul, Korea are praying with us in our same method and form of prayer. It's just a method of praying the hours, but specifically, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about how it's designed. (laughs) Every day, there are three prompts, if you'll remember, to pray for just all sorts of things. For those involved with adoption and foster care, for teachers and students, for single brothers and sisters, for married brothers and sisters, for those who are poor, for those who are hungry, for those suffering injustice, for those who are doctors and nurses and teachers and students. 
We design those prompts so that basically you all are praying for each other throughout the year in multiple ways. Because all of us fit into these different categories that we give within the daily prayer project. So that's an application. Pray for one another using those prompts. Ask the Spirit to, to prompt to your mind those who fall into those categories. I also think we need to be practicing common prayer together here at Grace Mosaic in some way. For more than a year, we did that together. For more than a year, during the pandemic, Monday through Friday, an email came and I got to see one of your beautiful faces on the YouTube channel. A lot of the kids helped out. It was beautiful. And it was a reminder that we are not alone. In the midst of a painful and isolating pandemic, it was a rhythm of prayer together. And we really desire as a community community to embody that going forward. Because a lot of us think that the spiritual life is a life of, of, uh, of just getting strong by ourselves in the presence of God, of having the right kind of discipline to maintain our quiet times and to really be, be in that place of faith. But I think that that's actually backwards. This gathering and corporate prayer is supposed to nurture us and energize us for our own individual lives of prayer. So this fall, we'll be rejuvenating that as we head into the fall in some way. Obviously, we're feeling that out with the pandemic, so just pray for wisdom. I would love to get us to a point of daily common prayer in person or together somehow. So pray for that and be on the lookout for that. Here's another point of application. Practice the reflex of prayer. Practice the instinctive reflex of prayer. When a friend or neighbor is describing something they're struggling with, offer to pray for them immediately and ask God's help in the situation. If that's not possible, write out a prayer and send it to that person. You have no clue what your prayers can do in someone's life. You might just save their lives. After a prayer, uh, a funeral recently, I was collared up and everything. I was standing on the side of the road with Melissa. We ran into our next door neighbor, Nina. She had gotten into a car wreck and she was hurting. Her body was hurting. We talked to her. We listened to her with compassion. And then we just stood there and Melissa looks over at me and she just says, Aren't you going to pray for her? (laughs) So that's my question for you. Aren't you going to pray? For me, that was a moment of teaching from Melissa to be like, aren't you going to pray? Aren't you going to practice what you preach? Aren't you going to pray for her? Aren't you going to anoint her with oil? And so we did. So I needed that help. (laughs) Practice the reflex of prayer. Lastly, I'm going to ask, what is your prayer versus complaint ratio? I don't want to to meddle. (laughs) I don't want to meddle in your life, but I'm going to ask you, what's your prayer versus complaint ratio? If you're struggling with someone in your life, I know some of you do sometimes, maybe a spouse, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, how much do you pray for them? How much do you pray for God to work in your heart and in their heart? Or do you spend more time venting about them with other people? You say, I'm so tired of this person in the way they are. I wish they would just stop being so annoying. Spend more time asking God to change someone's heart than you do complaining about them. As I close, how do we keep on keeping on in this life of prayer? How do we move from a place of forgetfulness to remembrance? How do we move from a place of of pride to humility? And how do we move from a place of doubt to trust? I got another testimony for you today. It's a testimony about someone who prayed for me. 
It's a testimony about somebody who prayed for you. It's your testimony too. I was sinking down under the weight of sin and shame. There was destruction headed my way. A kind of destruction worse than that of even a full speed 18 wheeler into a stop line of traffic. The thoughts and words and deeds of all of my life coming upon me, back upon me to crush me under the weight of guilt. The justified anger of God, the cup of God's wrath. Not only that, the full weight of all the sin of the world, its injustice, its cruelty, its violence, and my part within that. But somebody raised their arms and had outstretched arms and prayed for me and prayed for you. This one with outstretched arms prayed these kinds of prayers. He said, Father, forgive them, for they, not, they know not what they do. He prayed with outstretched arms and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, It is finished. Do you know that while the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, he began his act of interceding for you? Do you know that he was praying for you on the cross, asking for God's mercy in a situation of life and death that destruction would pass us by? Beginning on the cross that the mercy of God might cover us away from guilt, away from destruction, away from shame, away from disconnection with God towards life eternal and hope unconquerable so that we could become participants in God's mission to renew everything. I'm so glad he prayed for me. Are you glad he prayed for you? Do you know that that same Jesus rose to new life for your justification and for your transformation? Do you know that that same Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father? Do you know that that same Jesus is called the great high priest? And do you know what a priest does? A priest intercedes for his people. Do you know that Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever? Do you know that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Aren't you glad he prayed for you? And aren't you glad he prays for you? We can move to a place of trust. We can move to a place of humility and remembrance because Jesus is praying for us. We can ask for his faith to strengthen our faith. And we can join him in praying for one another. Amen? Amen. This is the good news today. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.